The Intermediate Line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. The Intermediate Line is brought to you by nervouswater.com.au, Thomas and Thomas Rods, Shilton Reels and Cortland Lines. Ketterfly, Australian-made apparel, made by flight fishers for flight fishers. Powerpole, total boat control. Beast brushes, we stay in our lane of experience so we can improve your experience. That's what it does. <laughs> a digital fluoro light. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Skype bike. Digital fluoro light. hundred <laughs> percent. It's flickering right now. <laughs> All right. Okay. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the wonderful Intermediate Line. And fortunately for you guys and my guests, Jeffrey Volter is not here tonight. And uh, but I do have uh, another person in addition to that's not right. I've got two guests and one host, so it still makes up the three. So you're still getting your money, money's worth, folks. So I've got I've got on the line with me tonight, I've got Brooke Swanton and I've got Jimmy Caves, who's uh, returning for his second, is it second episode, Jimmy? You've been second on? One. Second yep. one, mate. And, yep. and this is Brooke's um, first crack at um, of the intermediate line. How are yeah. you, gentlemen? Yeah, good, man. Good, Chris. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, I'm glad you could make it. And um, I just want to explain to the listeners the reason why uh, I decided to get you two guys on. Um, now, I'm going to piss in two people's pocket at one time here. Now, feel free to say nothing if you don't want to, but um, by, by all means, feel free to chime in as well. Um, the thing that I admire about you two guys, um, besides living at different ends of the country and having two different fisheries, is that you guys fish accessible water really really well um and obviously the most prevalent fish in those accessible waters is is brim and i think anyone who lives in australia could access brim no matter where they are whether it's black brim yellow fin brim pikies um whatever you know it's a it's a species that we've known all known from from fishing as kids uh you know like a you know for me it's one of those species that my dad used to take me down to the jetty and catch before i really understood what was going on to still now though it's got to be like it's got to be australia's fish it has it, it has to be mate. You know, like there's not a there wouldn't be a section of coastline anywhere that I can think of that, you know, an Aussie couldn't go and have a, a reasonable chance at catching a brim of, of some description. Absolutely. So, you know, and because we're a fly fishing podcast, you guys do this so well that um that, you know, I, I wanted to get I wouldn't imagine there's there's too much of two different perspectives going on, but I'm I'm sure that you guys have got a different angle on on probably the same approach somewhat. But also, you know, a different perspective on on probably the same thing sometimes as well. I know that sounds contradictory to what I just said, <laughs> but 
but um but what i mean what i guess at the end of the day what i'm hoping is that people find inspiration from from what you guys have done and learn a bit about what's got you guys to that level um so yeah that's what i'm hoping happens here do you guys hope that too i'm oh. hoping for anything at the moment but that sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> just ho hoping to encourage you to get people out there like you know use what's close close to you know use what's accessible and you know for most of us that happens to be brim yeah no i, I agree we it, so let me just um start because uh, this is brooke's first time on the show let me ask you a question first up brooke um so you're you're based on um on the gold coast right yeah yeah yep. right smack middle there would it be fair enough to say that the general human population of the Gold Coast is that not that unsimilar to an ant farm that someone might have in their in their house or something like that? Oh yeah, you want to hit the boardwater on a on a weekend? <laughs> there's a there's a lot of people. It's crazy, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good though. Like, um, you know, we've got the waterways and people are using them, so uh, you can't blame anyone for that. It it's it's yeah. Look, I mean, I think it'd be fair enough to say that the Gold Coast waterways would be some of the busiest waterways for human population and, and water activities in australia for sure oh yeah no doubt you've only yeah between you can't even hit a river on the weekend without like the tinny rats or someone someone zooming past you but there's always a little spot to to sneak away and grab some grab some free time yeah now jimmy you're down at bermagui which is you know several several hundred thousand miles away from the gold coast <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're off the edge of the map down here. <laughs> and describe, um, you know, your area. You're like you're close to Victoria, but uh, I don't mean to get you started on on the subject of fisheries management. But you've got a um, you've got a pretty pretty pressured system in itself um, for a different way, right? Yeah, I, I think because we are a bit tucked away down here, we're kind of like the forgotten, you know, forgotten land. It's sort of you know, it's a little bit like the Wild West down here when it comes to comes to fisheries management and, and and the other thing that's happened down here is it's become a victim of its own popularity as well so you know it's become a really busy place you know obviously not compared to what brooks got there on the gold coast but it's become a vi busy place in a really short space of time so you know uh, a combination of uh you know a combination of a lot of things but it's certainly not the the place it was you know maybe not that long ago a decade or so ago um the fishing's uh certainly got a lot more difficult but you know it's the same sort of deal with as what brooks got there you know you you can find that there's ways and ways i guess mm. there's mm. places that you can go and, and and still find some fish okay you might have to sort of you know, beat the nets or beat the holiday crowds or whatever, but, you know, um, it can still be done. So, yeah, right. So you're looking for, um, so you, yeah, so even in these places of, of, um, of pressure, you're looking for, uh, you know, places of, that are a little bit quiet, I guess, within these sort of areas, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it can be smack bang in the middle of, of, of everyone's faces too, because, you know, sometimes the most obvious place, you know, can be, can be that, that, you know, place that, you know, you wouldn't you'd least expect, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, I think they get, they get used to the traffic too, especially like you've got a three year old broom that's lived in the waters with jet skis and boats and we got aqueducts and, you know, going over them 24 seven. They still, they still got to eat. Like they still feed. 
they're still it's uncomfortable for you, but um, like I've caught them on you know under boardwalks where people are walking their dogs and stuff like that. They're they're fairly adaptable and fairly accustomed to you know their surroundings. Like they're not they're not stupid. They they know that they can still get a feed even though there's a jet ski going over them. Yeah. yeah. I'd I'd second that for sure. Like you know, and it's probably the opposite end of the spectrum down here because, you know, there's systems where, you know, I know there's big cagey old fish and and they've avoided, you know, uh, prawn on a on a hook, you know, thousands of times as they've avoided, you know, nets. I think they've actually learned to avoid nets in some places down here, and um, you know. Even though I, I know the places are getting commercially fished and also very heavily recreationally fished, um, you know, like like book says, like I think the fish adapt to it, and and you know they obviously, like he says, they still have to eat. So this is what creates the the most appealing challenge to me as as a fly fisherman for brim. Uh, I I um, I've definitely seen the the appeal to. Inverted commas, what what might be perceived as a more glamorous, more glamorous species, but I'm always still challenged by by brim. You know, like brimmer, Valti's been pretty vocal on here about <laughs> going brim. You know, but um, but at the same time, like mate, I've challenged him on the show and in in person. Like, okay, Valts, how about we take you out to some of these brim that are on the flats and you should put on a clinic? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No one can. Like they're the most challenging fish going. Like you guys have pointed out, they're they're smart, they're adaptable, they're old, and they've seen everything. And I think that you know, like we mentioned on the, at the beginning of the show about, you know, hopefully this show will will set an inspiration for people. Um, I think that this is the direction that if you're starting out fly fishing, that you should look towards. You know, we've been on the podcast talking about follow the beef for a long time. Um, you know the, the the beef is 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 something I guess you know you can only it's it's relative I guess you could say to to what you've got access to you know I don't think it's don't think it's fair for anyone to hold uh, a candle against someone who who's you know got the ability to travel to these places that that don't even see fishermen and catch some great fish we'd all love to do it and be, I mean I tell you what if I, I would give up brim for the rest of my life if I could go and fish tropical flats and some weird k that no one's ever heard of for the of rest course. of my life. Yeah, yeah definitely. Would. But yeah. unfortunately, that's that's not realistic. So, and I still want to fish, you know. And I, I can, I think that if people can't see the challenge in in our local saltwater estuaries for what they are, and not put the time in there, um, yeah, I think that's pretty sad, you know. I think that if um, if influence isn't derived from accessible spots, I think that's pretty sad too, you know. And I, I think that's probably what. I don't think it's somewhat, somewhat missing. I think a lot of people admire what you guys do and, and people that fish for brim even on conventional gear or estu- fish estuaries well, you know. But as far as fly fishing is concerned, you know, brim are kind of that jewel in the in the, in the the estuary crown for being accessible around the whole country, like you point out, Jimmy. Um, but they're hard, you know. Like you I, – I, um, I recently went fishing and, and found them on the flats and I was describing to someone – it was like, oh yeah, they're nice brim. I got some off some jetties the other day. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the funny thing, isn't it? Like that fish, you could, you could find, you could pick twenty of them off a stormwater drain, but put that same fish on, um, like a foot in a foot of water at the at a river mouth on a on a on a full t- on a on a high tide, that thing becomes like oh, yeah. the, the hardest permit in the world. You know, no, the the thing about it is that there's just so many ways to target them as well. Well, as you said, 
you're just starting out, you hit the jetties. You know, you use a little um, disco shrimp and you, you know, just pop it next to a pontoon and you can catch them like that. You can catch them on the flats. You can catch them with crabs. You know, you could – there's so many ways to target them. Like There, there is a line. I tried a VDGC. That didn't work. There's a good like reason they, for that. They, they do draw the line somewhere. But um, <laughs> other than that, like, there's so many different styles to fish with and that's what uh, – appeals to me other than the accessibility you know they're just so easy to not easy to find but you know i can go around the corner and put my kayak in and i've i've got brim there somewhere but just there's so many ways that you can target them like you get sick of top water yeah you know you you, you can dredge for them like there's just so many spots so many different ways tell us about your scenario there bro um well i'm pretty lucky where i live because i got i got the canals if i just want to shoot out and have a have a quick fish but i mainly like um well like a video that i put up on instagram the other week i think it was with the uh, bendbacks that sort of territory where you're sort of in snags you sort of you know hand-to-hand sort of combat sort of fishing that's that's what i like the best what like the yeah like the wild rivers the the wild structure, yeah. timber yeah Mainly head up to head up the Narang way and sort of get out of the way a bit where you you get bass as well. So you're in that sort of brackish water where you're hitting snags and it's a little bit quieter. And uh, yeah, you can just I, that's that's my favourite way to target them, especially in summer with the the top water. That's yep. just 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 uh, that's the go that one. Are you? Is that what you're leaning towards mostly? Or are you um, getting much more diversity in in the places you find uh, brim? Yeah, like I'll um, I'll go through stages. Like it depends what I'm sort of obsessed with at the moment. Like at the moment, it's deer head, deer hair bugs. So I'm just top water, top water, top water for a while. There it was uh, you know the the finger mullet, which was great for the flats. So it just sort of depends what what I'm hitting at the time and uh, where the fish are, of course. Mm. Like, you know, they're not they're not feeding on the flats all the time. You've got to sort of pick your tides and your weekends and that. Sometimes the weekends just don't sort of line up for your, your tides. So I, I head up the backwaters a bit more. But, yeah, that's just uh, so much because you can just target them so many ways. Yeah, yeah. You know this 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 podcast. I didn't. I mean, I knew always knew Brim was going to be a big subject for it, but um, but I wanted to be more like pointing into, into the estuary, so to speak. But I mean, the the fact of the matter is that Brim offers the most diversity, really, out of, out of any of the estuary fish in the way you could catch them. I, I I already know your scenario there, Jimmy. But can you can you? I'm I'm sure this is going to be different again. Can you explain what what you're doing down there? No, I I mean I've I've gone on record before saying that. You know, I think as a, as a species, there's probably, you know, I, I don't think there's another fish that, you know, could be targeted in as many ways, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I've said before, I don't think I can think of another fish that you'd have to carry such a big range of flies to target because, you know, of, of how they might be feeding, you know, in that particular scenario. So, you know, they could be completely focused on what's in the bottom. I've had other days where I've fished the system over, got all the way back to the start, 
for whatever reason, you know, maybe tied a topwater fly on or something, then refished the system that I thought was completely devoid of life and caught fish flat out because all they wanted was topwater. Um, they sort of roll all the best attributes of so many of our, you know, really prestigious species uh, all, all into one, you know. Sometimes they'll tail and, and dig in the bottom like a permit. Sometimes they'll only want top water. Sometimes they're buried deep in the back of snags like, you know, a brim or jacks or something like that. You know, urban environments, the, the, the whole works. For, for me down here, you know, I, I've got uh, a lot of, you know, that natural structure, sort of fishing, rock walls, snaggy backwaters, mangroves, that sort of stuff. We don't have a lot of urban stuff here. Most of the systems are really small. Um, it's it's definitely the flats fishing down here that, you know, that's that's my jam, I guess. Um, if I can chase them anywhere, it'll always be, be on the flats wherever mm. I can. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's a really seasonal thing. Um, we're predominantly black brim down here um and and sort of they're just just about finished with spawning now or usually you know july august september they start to spread back into the systems now so you know fr from now on you know they start to um to get hungry again you know food's back on their minds uh so you know it becomes becomes flat fishing again but the water gets so cold down here you know we get single digit surface temps down here pretty regularly in some of the systems through winter. So, you know, flats is definitely off the cards then because there's no tucker on the flats when it's that cold. Mm. Um, so you do got to go looking in those other areas. But if, if I had to, you know, nominate a, a scenario, it's definitely the flats vision. Mm. Um, Brooke, how, how long um, did it take you to start getting some success with, uh, with Brim on fly? Uh, on and off. Well, as I, said, I probably I started fly fishing early two thousands, um, very sporadically. Like that was sort of before you could get you know any real information easily, like you can today on Instagram and stuff like that. And I was, you know I was just using a couple of homemade crazy Charlies and stuff like that, and catching the odd fish and that. And then I sort of put it away again. And picked it up a few times, but in the last five years, I've sort of really just put the spin rod away and just concentrated on fly. And the last two years, I'd say I'm consistent. So all up, you know, it's it hasn't been a, a quick journey, but enjoyed every sort of second of it. It's uh, even if you don't catch a fish, you know, you get a few good, when, especially when you're first starting, you get a few good casts in or you put a cast where you want it. Sometimes that's good, as good as catching a fish, you know, when you're starting out. But, yeah, it's probably taken five years to get to get where I'm at, you know, if you put it all in one timeline. What was the um, the biggest, what would you say the biggest hurdle that people could associate with the, um, for you with, with brim fishing, brim on fly? Mainly just putting the cast where you want it to. That's Casting, why. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm. I found uh, the kayak so good because you st you don't have to. You know, I'm not making eighty foot casts. You now I'm making you know forty at the most. Mm. You know, because it's just so stealthy. You can um, you can sneak around. You don't have you know clutter, and um, 
yeah, that's why I just I love the kayak so much because you you can get that little bit closer, and with a bit of practice, you know, you can still lob that fly on a dime, but um, you just you don't have to have that sort of you know big cast. You're not you're not smacking out in a hundred foot cast, so it just makes makes the learning curve a bit easier if you can just concentrate more on accuracy rather than smashing out a big cast. So I found that sort of a big uh, a big help in the learning curve just doing short little straight casts rather than trying to smack out huge ones. Did you have right. anyone did you have anyone showing you? Like did you know anyone doing this or you sort of um No, it was just me. Yeah. I just you know, back before Instagram and that it was just YouTube and a book here and there and just sort of you know, uh you just sort of pick it up as you go along and I dare say I'll probably need a casting lesson or two. But uh <laughs> um yeah, I get by now and, you know, I know when it feels good, you get with a bit of repetition and uh, when you do a good cast, you get the feel, you know, you get that feeling of the, the right haul and stuff and if you keep repeating that, you know, it just, uh, they say practice makes perfect, but perfect practice is the best. Yeah. Well, what about you, Jimmy? What, what do you reckon the uh, the biggest hurdle you had in um, in getting this in, in getting consistency was? Um. I think, I don't know, I think the biggest thing, just time on the water, you know, uh, I don't know about hurdle um, because I think it's a constant learning process. Um, hard to nominate, hard to nominate a hurdle. Like, oh, let, me, let me word this around another way. So, they're, they're, okay, so I hear what you're saying there um, and let me, let me, tell me if I got this right. What you're saying is that there, there's no there's no sort of um, uh, hard and fast silver bullet rule that you had to uh, overcome to learn to be able to get things you know fish to eat every single day. You're saying that at, no matter what the conditions are, whatever the time of year is, where however long you've been doing it, you've still got to read the water, so to speak, to be able to adapt on the day. Is that what you mean? I yeah, I'm, I guess you know, like I, I think going in you know pretty open-minded about where you're going obviously you've got a pretty good idea on on you know maybe the system you're going to target for the day but you know keeping really open-minded with it really flexible you know the ability to you know think quick on your feet with it too mm. uh, and, and read and assess the conditions and and even better if you can see the fish you know to, to read the fish to observe the fish see what's going on see what they're doing that's you know, that's the biggest hurdle. I think people that, you know, have the blinkers on and maybe just expect success right from the start, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's potentially the biggest hurdle. You know, I think you need to be prepared to dig in and, and do the hard yards um, and take the hits, take the failures, you know. Like, there's, there's going to be plenty of them, particularly if, you know, you want to become a, a brim you know, on fly sort of dude, like you know, you, there's going to be fishless days. There's, it's just going to happen. Yeah, I think um, I think most people who pick up a fly rod have no where brim are. Like usually they've used soft plastics, or you know they've sort of progressed. It's not like a progression, but you know they've used soft plastics or hard bodies, and they know how to find fish, and they've caught heaps of them doing that, like soft plastics. To go from having a you know a field day out and then picking up a fly rod, going to the same spots where you know there's fish and having a donut, that's the hard thing to swallow for a lot of people. Whereas I'd rather ha catch one fish on fly 
than 10 on anything else. Like, I just I feel bad if I catch one on lure because I think, oh, shit, I should have used the fly rod. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's how I got a couple of years ago, and now I just I don't even have a spin rod. Mm. It's just fly or stay home. I think, uh, you know, what you just said there, Brooke, you know, ties in with what Jimmy says there well and truly. And I think, uh, I mean, to, to offer a little bit of summary in a different direction to, to sort of um, the question I asked originally, what you guys are both saying is that, um, you know, that, that, that people should embrace the suck, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think, <laughs> like, like you said there, Brooke, like I find in my experience of, of meeting other fly fish shows, nearly, nearly – uh, not all of them, but nearly all of them have come from a successful um, conventional fishing background. Lures, um, not many have gone from bait to fly. I've met people like that too. But um, most people are used to getting out there and have built their success without remembering where that success started. I remember when I started fishing lures, went from bait to lures. It it wasn't as successful as bait was for me, but I was kind of at an age where I was I wasn't as impatient. Um, whereas like if I was starting to fly fish when I, well, when I started to fly fish, you know, um, you know, a, a long time ago, um, you know, I was already at an age where, uh, time was a premium, although fly fishing interested, interests me. Uh, I could have easily dropped fly fishing completely because of that, for that reason, um, that time, time was poor, but I was getting, I, I found myself getting frustrated by not getting the same results as I was with lures, but, um, I don't know. For some reason, I persisted. I'm a stubborn bastard, and um, and uh, and I think that you know I didn't want it to beat me as somewhat, you know. And I guess that becomes a personal journey, I suppose, in, yeah. in that respect, you know. Dep- um, and one depends that what yeah, through. depends what you classify as results. Like, is results fifty fish, or is results finally getting that cast right? That's and a good ca- catching a brim on a fly that. You made like that's a good point, mate. It, expectation of results, a perception yeah. of results. You know, that's that's somewhat got to change as well because it's not only with with lure fishing. You know, you can go to the shop and and you can buy you can buy um, a rod that casts a line um, that's 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 going to be able to lift a fish to make a fish feel sporting or cast a, a lure that feels light. That's someone else made. That someone else designed. All that sort of stuff. And you just got to put it in the right place and just crank the handle and wind it back. But with fly fishing. You got to be able to um, understand the relationship with the, between the the rod, the line. Understand what fly works and make that cast. There's so much that's got to add up as as an, as as many achievements before you even put it in front of a fish. And then to be able to set the hook on a fish and then land that fish, it's it just seems to be so much more involved in it. So those expectations of results, like you said there, it's all it's all a matter of perception, I guess. Um, but for me, I, I I share what you just said there, Brooke. You know, like I, I'd be happy to. Um, uh, I quickly became happy to catch one fish, uh, like um, um, and grind for that fish on fly, than it was to um, expect the same results that I eventually earned by fishing lures. If you know what I'm saying. And then you look at then you look at you know Bushy down here. I mean, everyone would know Bushy. You know, from it's K, uh, K Bush. K right? Bush. Yeah. You know, yeah. like God. So yeah, pretty. Much, you know, <laughs> so you know, Bushy did the hard yards. You know, catching brim on lures. You know, he, he was the him and Starlight were obviously doing it. You know, a long time ago and popularised it in the media and whatever else. And um, you know, switched his attention to fly for a bit. I think you know most you know long time fishers in Australia would remember 
his contribution to the brimfly world, you know, through his uh, magazine article a while ago, the polar flash brimfly, you know. Yes, you can still get that on. You can yeah. Google that. It's still there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it certainly shaped a lot of what I did for a while. Um, but then, you know, you come back to that expectation of results. You talk to Bush now and he's like, well, you know, I can go and catch half a dozen on fly, but if I take my soft plastic, I can go and catch 50. So that's what he does. <laughs> that's right, what okay. he, that's what he wants to do, you know. So yeah, it's, um, it's expectations and you yeah. know what you want to get out of it. I think that's and that's yeah. exactly what it is. It's what you want to get out of it, you know. Like he, um, he just he just wants to keep catching them all day, and you know, a plastic's going to outfish a fly every day of the week. Well, a pla- I mean, you could you could I mean, there's probably many ways you could look at that, but you could say that a plastic's going to outfish a fly. Um, because you can put it in the water more often too. I mean, you could keep a plastic in the in the water probably three times longer um, because of reduced false. You're not you're not false casting. Yeah, <laughs> quicker. You can probably pick it out of the water um, faster. Do you know what I mean? Like stuff. there's yeah. yeah yeah. I mean, it's not it's not that flies ineffective. And to go back to what Brooke said there about um, you know his original sort of um, um, hurdle, and I use that term loosely after what we've just spoken about, but. Um, uh, was was the ability to put the fly where you want it, you know? Um, that's that's something we all we all have to endure. That's for sure. I reckon. Um, last time we had you on, Jimmy, we spoke about people getting into. We got you on for a brim on fly special, so to speak. Um, I, I I really don't. I keep saying it. I don't, I really don't want this one to be that. I I would I would like to think it'd be more of an insight into, into two successful um, estuary ninjas, you know. Um, and, uh, as more than, more than a how to, but you did say, we talked about, you know, getting into it and the gear that you used and stuff as well. Um, I think that if people had like an eight weight, you know, like to, to get into brim, which would be, be massive, you know, they could, they could still get into it. If it meant that was going to make it easier casting and stuff, I mean, you could, you could easily work backwards from there. Right. hundred percent. You just make it work for you. You know, I, I think um, people get maybe too wrapped up in gear and, you know, maybe complicating things. I, I think the whole idea of, you know, using what's close by and the accessibility thing is not to overcomplicate it. Mm. Um, you know, if an eight weight is what you got, go with the eight weight. You know, if it's a five weight that you take up trout fishing, use that. You know, make it work for you. You know, uh, if, if it's blowing a gale... You know, or you're fishing some outrageous tidal place. You know, it's, it's probably not going to work, but you know, just work with it. Make the the best of the situation. That then that's the whole beauty of fishing those close by places, and you know, the 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 easily accessible places, ones that are close to home, because you know, you're not waiting all year for that. You know, one week to go and fish it. You know, it might be like Brooke says. You know, it's just around the corner. So wait for that. You know, glamour afternoon. And go and do it then. Mm. Um, make it work for you. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I like to complicate things at times, but I'm <laughs> a big fan of keeping it simple too because that's usually what works best. Mm. I was just, just thinking that when we're talking about, yeah, go use an eight weight if you want to and, and if that's all you've got. Then I think about this dude who ruins the image with like with ones and two weights, you know, on, on social media there. <laughs> like I say, I do like to complicate things sometimes. Um, but but there's a perfect example. Okay, you know, there's plenty of scenarios 
um, where that will work best. And I get so many people, you know, asking me questions, sending me messages, all that stuff about the light gear. Mm. And the thing is, you really need to be really, you know, clear with your expectations there. You know, it's probably not going to be the best thing for the job, you know, in, in a wide range of circumstances. But there's plenty of times where, man, it's really going to help. Hence mm. why... You know, I, I use it. I'm fishing pressured waters. I'm fishing pressured fish or, or hard to catch fish. You know, you throw a, a six weight or something like that, you know, with a rod length leader, it's not going to fare nearly as well as, you know, fishing a two or a three weight with a 15 foot leader. Mm. Um, so again, I'm, I'm making that work for me. Obviously, I'm not going to go out there when it's, you know, 20 knots and try and do that. But that's the beauty of having these these places you know around the corner from home um you know i get a glamour morning where where there is no wind well let's go and try and make it work yeah yeah that's and that's that's the thing and that's that's the thing that's one of the main things to take home from this is uh you know again that accessible water you know i you know i i i, I won't and it doesn't mention... have to be brim it doesn't have to be, it no, be no. anything. you know that's, like absolutely mate absolutely i mean I was just going to say, like, I, I'm not going to mention names and stuff like that, but I've had conversations with friends where they're like, um, you know, that dude's such a good fisherman, but, you know, he, he pays for every fish that he catches, you know, like he's paying for guides and everywhere he goes and stuff like that. And it's, it's um, you know, they put themselves in a position of influence and stuff like that. And I think to myself, it's so sad, you know, like I'd love to see that dude catch a brim, you know, and, and, and you know, maybe, maybe you know, there's kids down the jetty that watch this dude catching a brim, you know, on, on a fly rod and be, oh, wow, look at that, you know, but. You just you don't see that that stuff. I mean, you guys probably would. Are you guys seeing people that you know look at you and go, "Hey, there's no trout here" or stuff like that, or <laughs> or, or are super interested in what you're doing? I, I'm guessing you'd probably get that more on the Gold Coast than than you would Jimmy down there. Well, you probably get the same. I don't know, but I know that when I have casting students in the park, you know, mate, people people get also. You caught one yet? Yeah, you're the first one. Or there's no trout <laughs> here, and you know, <laughs> or like that. You know, like it's um. Fly fishing is still a, for the majority a novelty for people to see when they see fishermen. You know, you know what I mean. So, do you guys get people that are interested in that uh, side of things? Yeah, yeah. I um, you can tell like if you run into someone fishing, usually you can tell you know they know what you're talking about. But if say there's someone on the bank where you're um, more on a boardwalk or something like that, and I'm in my kayak with a fly rod, they're just confounded like you know what why are you using that you know you can't do um flathead don't eat you know nymph flies and stuff like that it's like and you mm. you try to explain to them and stuff like that but uh yeah it's um it's definitely not mainstream that's up here that's for sure like um the saltwater um fly fishing is still quite the eye-opener to a lot of people unfortunately yeah yeah uh, getting back to that gear, what, what are you using in, uh, in in your neck of the woods, Brooke? I'm the opposite end of Jimmy. I'm basic. I've got uh, five weight, which is like a bit of spaghetti, and uh, floating line. That's that... probably the majority that I use for yeah, okay. the fishing I do. Like, um, Yeah, I'd love to have 14 rods here and pick one, but I'd probably still just pick the five weight. It's like a bit of spaghetti, to tell you the truth. Yeah, because uh, I'm comfortable with it. I know it back to front, and I know I can. It's it's confidence thing. I I know yeah. I can catch fish with it, and that sounds perfect to me. You're making just, it work. You're making it work for you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I've I've got um, 
I've got an eight weight with the intermediate if I go on the flats looking for flatties or something like that. But yeah, the old five weight with the the floating line um, just suits suits for where I fish and um, is easy, and it's just what I've what I'm used to really. I suppose so. I just I just stick with it. Mm. What about um be, before I um before I um uh express amazement again at the Jimmy's leader construction? What do you use for um <laughs> What do you use for leaders, Brooke? Uh, if I'm going where I know I'm running into bass and like the 40-odd centimetre brim, I just use straight eight-pound. Yep. Boom. If I'm flats fishing, I'll use a two-piece one, probably six to four-pound. But um, Or if I'm in the canals, I might just use eight to six-pound. Yep. But... Uh, yeah, our top water, I just use five foot, 10 pound mono. Oh, yeah, just cool. Straight through. Because, uh, yeah, I'm pretty simple. Yeah, I keep, yeah. I keep it simple, and the less knots there for me to stuff up and break, the better. I rang Jimmy up once um, uh, out of frustration about some um, some brim I found in a, in a lake near my place. It's salt water, it's locked. Um, they were up on um, looking about six to eight inches of water on those pancake flat in the middle of the day. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, joking about like hiding behind trees and, and things like that. <laughs> yeah, dynamite's uh, the best part, best way to get them. Oh, man, I, can, I cannot believe how smart those fish are. So Jimmy tells me that, um, you know, he runs, what did you say, a 13, 14-foot leader, yeah, Jimmy? Uh, that's a good start. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> man I, I consider myself to be a competent caster, but uh, but like you know, picking off um, even at even at forty feet, like picking off um, brim that are cruising on flats like that, and to be able to put it without the thing. I know the point of the leader is to be a stealth landing and stuff like that, but I'm not used to it, and I found it I found it difficult to get used to. Right, eh? but that's pretty standard for what you're doing this that's a good start <laughs> wait till you catch one and then you strip strike it and you just snap the leader because you're using like three pound two pound leader yeah i mean using lighter gear helps with that too though you know like you know fishing fishing the lighter gear but and you know there's probably times where you know maybe we do break some stuff off um you know when we have to drop down to that really light stuff but in general you know, if I don't have to go below six pound, I won't. And you're not going to break many off on the strike on six pound. Mm. Um, the pro- probably the, you know, um, it makes I make it sound maybe a bit more technical, you know, than it really is. But again, it comes down to a, situ- a situational thing. You know, like fishing. You know, we do a bit of canoe based fishing, and we've got the little tinny there and stuff, and around snags. You know, I, I wouldn't generally fish much more than a nine or ten foot leader doing that um it's it's more those really technical situations where you've got big fish very shallow water maybe not even big fish but you know you've got very shallow water very clear Sometimes water. The, the smaller ones are trickier to catch than the big ones in those Sometimes, situations yeah yeah i would say the same um probably you know the biggest thing you know getting used to casting you know flies with leaders that you know that long can be tricky you know obviously guys you see it plenty of times they you know trout fish and they're using using leaders like that in new zealand and places like that but you know they've got a size 16 fly on the end you know it turns over okay 
<laughs> so, you know, trying to cast something that's, you know, on a on a size six or size eight hook, you know, maybe with a bit of weight, a bit of, you know, density to it, it that can be a challenge. Mm. Um, that can take some getting used to. But again, you know, if if that situation's not for you, well, you know, don't fish it. Fish fish one that, you know, you, you can make work for you too. So that that's it the, the situation this is where i wanted to lead on to a bit like um i can remember in that circumstance that i was just pointing out before that you know i um i took a mentality of that i've always had to bring <laughs> in that you know like shrimp flies and um and fishing them off the bottom which works and has worked for me since then before then all that sort of stuff but but that particular scenario and the reason i reached out to you was when I, I first started to get introduced to um you know your flies, like the Burmy, uh, the fur babies, you call them now. Um, I don't think you had a name from back then, but um, but one of the things you were quite adamant with, which I found, which I'm also keen to hear what you say, Brooke, with with this, because I know that you fished the um, the finger mullets as well. Um, is Jimmy, you were you were adamant about making those fish um, swim for them, you know, like not not picking them up, like um, at, oh, what did you word? I think you, you didn't say attacking the fish with it, but you were actively swimming the fly um, as opposed to, you know, making a static fly on these, in these six to eight inch of, of water scenarios and, and making them chase it down like it's a little bait fish, which is, which is incredibly effective, but counterintuitive for, for fish that we we know to eat, you know, to dig stuff out of the sand. You, I've, in that scenario, I was watching them dig stuff out of the sand, you know, but but when they get turned on with that that correct placement of crossing their path with that and, and swimming that fly, in that scenario with that long leader and stuff, it really changed the um, the confidence I had with that long leader for starters. Um, but also it was an eye-opener to see that different approach because everything you see is, you know, soft plastics hit the bottom, like, you know, a little crankbait will be digging its bib into the bottom, all that sort of stuff. But these fish eating, uh, not not top water, but mid-water in, you know, a foot of water at, at, at best was was pretty effective, eh? It's like the whole cat and mouse thing, you know, like, you know, sort of tempt them, tease them into it, you know, like uh, try and draw them away from what they're doing, um, get them, you know, up and active and chasing it, um, tends to end up with better results. I'm not saying all the time, but, you know, if you can sort of um, tempt them into, into chasing after it, uh, and the body language of the fish will tell you, you know, what's going on. And and this is where the whole observation thing really comes into it. You know, you really need to be, be on the ball and, and paying attention. But, you know, if, if you can get them particularly swimming straight at you, you know, and, and bumping the fly along and, you know, you'll see the pec fins flare and, you know, the, the body sort of stiff. And maybe if you can get them at an upward angle, you know, it, it all leads to a better chance of, uh, of an eat. I've certainly caught plenty on on static flies on the bottom, crab flies and things like that. But I definitely think results like like what we spoke about, Chris. You know, I think the results really went up when you know really actively fishing them. Mm. It, well, yeah. it was a difference between letting letting the fish have a good looker. Like uh, the ones I was catching off the bottom, like I I was I must I, like I'm not ashamed to say I probably cast it. I, I don't even think it's an exaggeration to say eighty odd fish and have one tip on it and pick it up you know and um that was that day you know like hiding behind trees so to speak you know because as soon as you move the rod they take off like scolded cats you know it was so hard to put a cast to to, to find a fish lead it put a fish a fly in front of it to not have it here at land 
and then to tease it and then pick it up was was some of the most challenging fishing I've ever done. You tell people that um, you tell people you do that with brim like Volti and they they just laugh at you. But <laughs> yeah, those who know know. Is that do you do you do you have you fishing that scenario too, Brooke? Have you seen that down the Goldie? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's hard. Like I've found um, like what Jimmy does, a moving fly is better. That's why um, I like that little finger mullet because it uh, it not as much as uh, Jimmy's fur babies, but uh, it represents a few things, and it's moving, and if you get Often you'll get one onto it, and if you get two, you'll get one of them. Like as soon as there's that little bit of competition and they start chasing it, you'll you'll get one. But you just gotta, yeah, it's it, it is it's hard fishing. But I found more often than not, if um, you can get a couple chasing it, you'll come up tight. But uh, just getting any to chase it on some days, you just you got no hope. Mm. Like it's 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 touch and go fishing. It's uh yeah, you gotta have the right the right scenario and things going your way for it to work. But uh when you get one, well it's um yeah, ten times better than you know, catching catching them any other way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder I wonder if they they can be more opportunistic up in that shallow water sometimes, you know, they're up they're up there for one reason, they're not up there for shelter or stability or whatever you know they're up there to, they're up there to eat but you know the fish the food that they're chasing up there is probably more likely to be uh you know living in the benthic strata so to speak you know worms and yabbies and you know whatever crustaceans and stuff like that but um they seem to almost instantly just change their mind which was a was a, was a bit of a surprise for a fish that's almost got like a hive mentality like they're all eating the same thing you know um no, I, I think you're right. It's it's yeah. the opportunity. They see something darting off, you know, like they're not going to yeah, let it go by. It's like yeah. the same um, with whiting. Like everyone thought, you know, whiting eat off the bottom until the, the top water craze came in. And it's they they chase it down. Like if there's something zipping in front of them, they'll turn and look. Whereas if there's something just sitting on the ground in front of them and it's waving a little bit, they'll have a little look, but they're not stupid. Like they'll – I don't care how good you – your shrimp fly is if you let it sit there for long enough and they have a good look at it and they're not hungry they won't eat it mm. but if you've got one zipping in front of them running away if you've got one that's sort of in that little bit of uh chase mentality they'll chase it down more often than they'll uh, pick up a static one i've found all these things that you guys have just mentioned um and again i'm not i'm not trying to i i, I think i've expressed enough how much respect i have for, for brim on fly but I think that, um, you know, for those that, that might be missing that aspect of it uh, for whatever reason, everything you guys are just describing is all the skills that you would need for any glamorous flat fish that, you know, might grace the cover of a magazine, so to speak, you know. It's, um, I don't think, for, the, for, for in my experience, and I'm sure you guys would probably agree, you know, like out, like outside of uh, Brim and Whiting and stuff, the, the skills are, uh, are as equally as demanding for, for fish like that in those scenarios than any fish in the world or any species, you know? Do you guys, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, if you close your eyes, um, <laughs> you, could be, you could have a permit on the other end, but you don't. You have a rim, but, yeah, no, I, um, I haven't been lucky enough to, to travel much uh, to chase too many other species, but um, I could imagine the scenarios that, Brim put you under and the pressure they put you under would 
you know, hold anyone in high regard to go up and chase Barra to permit to, to anything like. Um, yeah, they really test a lot of different skills, which mm. is uh, which is you know they can you can catch them on bread or you can, as I say, you can do what Jimmy does and have a two hundred foot leader and try and uh, try and try and pin them off that way on a on a zero weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, for sure. Um. Yeah. No. De- definitely, mate. I think that they're, they're. Yeah. They're. Yeah. Brimmer. Brimmer. Pretty challenging. Like. Uh, as far as like what you said earlier, Jimmy, about like you know getting lighter and stuff like that for you know fish is going to be more pressured. Like it's not. It's not that. It's not lost in other forms of fishing. I know that the the conventional guys like they'll run like three pound mono on this on their spoolings, but instead of braid, to to make have that make a difference. Like the braids um you know creating a creating an issue you know like which i think's pretty fascinating you know like that that those fish can be that smart and that 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 educated to have that that good a sense to be able to pick up on yeah past the leader length like a, a, a um a 15 foot leader that they might run then go to a braid mainline and fish better without that mainline you know it's I've, um i've seen it many times many many times like both my brothers are good flight fly fishers but they still do chuck lures a fair bit um last time uh we fished brim together josh and i um, he was fishing three pounds straight through and you know the difference he cast three times as far for a start and then to not have you know anything in the water really apart from this tiny little you know invisible thread um it's almost an unfair advantage i think that three pound fish and it's you know it just is is devastatingly effective on on those really tricky fish. Mm. Nothing, nothing the, the lure companies love it too. The lure work. companies, yeah. The lure companies love you fishing straight straight through three pound. <laughs> I, I would imagine that straight through, depending on how far out from the rod tip, it'd be quite cushioning on the eat too. You know, like you yes, guys mentioned that, about It's like um, a big bungee cord. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying, Brooke, about, um, you know, they're getting pinged off and stuff. I mean, three pounds, not very big break and strain by any means. I, I've had, I mean, I, I'm wondering if other people listening to this might have had the same problem with the with the eat. Myself, you know, like, um, yeah, my my development years in fly fishing was always salt water. Um, I, I actually, I've mentioned this on the show before, I actually got into fly fishing through fishing for brim on lures, you know, but I went away from that once I sort of started to achieve that and, and, and just my eyes wiped up to a whole new world of fishing that I wanted to catch everything else on fly. But, um, but you know, I trained myself to strip strike. You know, it was a big part of what I did. It was uh, the species that species that I chased required it. Um, and then to come back to Brim and then fish, you know, like four or six pound and stuff like the strip strike when that, that fish is like 10, 15 feet away from you, swimming straight at you and then eats and turns and to strip strike, like to be, to be have that reaction time to do it naturally. Um, man, I busted so many fucking fish off. It's not funny. It's incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. And, um, now to to be able to like um have that bungee cord with those light leaders to be able to lift on the on the on the set like I kind of hang on to the line and just lift the rod a little bit you know um I think so you guys letting, have a letting yeah. letting letting line slip a little bit so yeah you're still strip striking but you you're also letting slip maybe even on the strike um yeah this yeah, is what I ask about the the the, yeah. the the setting you know like if if you guys have got a different uh, approach to this because I, I'm guessing that it's people like me that have that have that have pinged fish off you know a lot and it's it sucks that's for sure so please continue definitely i mean i think the difference between you know say three four 
you know, the jump up to six is, is a pretty big step up in terms of, you know, strength, tensile strength or whatever. But I think, um, you know, a gently, gently approach. I generally, you know, once you get an eat, whether you can see it or not, you know, sight fishing or not, let it come tight with a, with a low rod um, and then, you know, let it slip it at, you know, as the fish moves and, and lift at the same time. I think that's probably, you know, can be, you know, a bit easier on the on a leader, particularly a light leader, mm-hmm. you know, that, than, a, than a strip strike and, you know, maybe an away movement with a rod or something. Um, that's generally my, my go-to style with that. Just, you know, anything you can do to, to still come tight but, you know, protect, protect that leader. Mm. What about you, bro? I bust him off. I <laughs> am <laughs> 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 uh, used to, because um, I'm used to just turning them straight away, you know, with snags and stuff like that. I um, I have trouble being a bit gentle with them. But uh, yeah, as Jimmy said, it, it's it is a different it is a different hook set on the flats compared to you know trying to stop one run back into the mangroves. That's for sure. And it's yeah. just another another facet that you got to learn. It's when you see. I have problems when you see them. Like if I'm if I'm um, yeah, that's um, when fish, that's when you break them off when you see yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> if, if I if I'm fishing where, like I might be around a jetty or something slightly deeper water where I know that they're there and I don't I'm just stripping I'm just stripping casually like whistling away and then you know I'm not I'm not expecting when they're going to eat I don't generally have a problem with it but when I'm watching it and teasing like a a kitten with a ball of string and then it finally lunges forward and eats and turns at the same time you know my my personal instant reaction is to I do this with bass too. Like on topwater, I, lo- I lose a lot of topwater bass because I strip strike on the eat. I've had the fly come whizzing back at me like a bungee cord just past my head before. <laughs> like the, my, I got a friend of mine who's um, what does he say? Um, on the eat, you got to say, uh, oh, "God, God bless the queen." That's it, he says, and and like <laughs> and then let him take it, then then lift the rod. That's what he does. My, I got a mate of mine I fish with for bass that. Got a hack on him for being a, a, a trout striker, big time. But he he never he barely misses anything on on top water for that reason. God save the queen and and, then, mo- um, and monarchist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we like up here in Kingsland, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't call it Queensland anymore for obvious reasons. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess he's probably a little bit quicker now. God save the king. It's a bit quicker to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, you're right. When you can see him, when you can see him eat, you know, uh, that's notorious, you know, for either breaking them off or pulling hooks, you know, I, I think you tend to, you know, your reaction, you know, maybe you react too quick or something. You know, I'm, I'm certainly still pretty good at that. You know, you watch him eat and then, you know, it all happens too quickly or something. The brain just can't connect with the hand in time or something. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, bonefish, bonefish are like that too. I find, you know, like I, I haven't done a lot of, you know, extensive travel or fishing or whatever, but I fish bones a few times and I sort of found those the same too. You know, the ones that quickly pounce forward and grab the fly, they're the ones that you break off. Yeah. You, know, you, you see them eat. It's, it all happens so quick. You know, it does, doesn't matter how gently you're, you know, you, you try and strip strike or whatever, you know, it, you just break them off. Yeah, this, bring, this brings me to an interesting topic because I was, you know, like, I guess bonefish would be a good correlation for this. And, and this is something that uh, what I'm about to bring up is something that I've also learned with, with bonefish too. And one of the things with bonefish, I guess, is, you know, you can, there's some, well, 
I mean, I've only fished from in Christmas Island, but there's some flats on Christmas Island where, you know, um, they go they go like Hell Flat, for example. Like it's it's dry. You're walking to into an incoming tide until you start seeing tails, and there's only enough water to cover those fish's back. But it's really chunky coral, like it's really heavy coral. And the best flies to that are um, uh, back then used to time on SL45s, like you know, size eights. They're tiny, tiny little hooks, you know. But they'd eat it if they eat it, and you strip strike. You would always pull it out of his mouth, and the way of thinking was, um, which is probably common, but kind of had to come reach this conclusion for ourselves. Being that's a small hook for for, for where I learned to fly fish, you know, a size eight. And when you're learning, when you're learning fly fishing where I live, and and you and you're purposely strip striking as part of your um, development years, I guess you could say, to to have to lift the rod on the strike is is a very awkward thing to do, you know, um, and. You had to do that back then because the size eight, but simply because the hook was too small to reach any purchase of flesh in the thing's mouth. If you strip strike, you just rip it out. It was like it was not enough hook to get anything, enough skin. It was just like, I don't know, getting a, just basically just just getting the surface hooked. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Am I making sense? If I'm making sense to you, I'm probably making sense to the listeners, but if I'm not, tell me because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure no one else knows what the hell I'm talking about either then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sounds good. They I haven't bonefished, but, but I haven't bonefished, but it sounds good. Well, what I, what I, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean. No, I know. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, there's yeah, such a small hook. You're pulling it out too quick before it sort of has time to get any purchase on a bit of flesh. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. Like I've, I've, um, I mean, I see the hooks you use, Brooke, and I see the hooks Jimmy uses as well. And like you guys are pretty similar in that respect. But I've, I've, I've known Jimmy to use a lot, a lot of diversity in hooks over the years. And um, I've I've seen you use some pretty stout hooks in the past, Jimmy. But like um, you know, how does that how does that matter when you're using like you know, six pound leader, but you've got a hook that can handle you know the weight of a car? <laughs> you know, like uh, I mean, uh, that's probably unfair. But you know, like um, uh, like those those um those ARX tube hooks, like they're a quite yeah. a chunky hook. You know, like they're a, a big yeah. gauge to, to to set that wire. Um, Pass the barb into something if you're fishing a barb with a very light leader. Like I mean, that in itself, set putting that hook through to the bend is probably enough to to break some of those knots, you know, on those leaders. You know, mm, I I don't know. I I never think about that that side of it at the time. The hook choice for me um, is always in consideration with with the fly design. You know, th that's the that's just a byproduct. You know, the you know hooking the damn thing or whatever. You, you got to get the hook in the fish first. So the the hook choice for me, you know, will never come down to you know get getting an inner inner fish. It's you know what what's the hook that's going to work for the fly that I want at the time. There's no um, doubt that there's, I mean you've you've seen plenty of examples of of you know your thought process working, but. Um, it's interesting to hear what you said off the bat there. You've never given it that that thought as to, you know, how much pressure it's going to take to set that hook in. What part of the um, what part of the fly design um, requires the thought process of the gate of the thickness of the wire using the hook? So, you know, sink rate obviously probably being the biggest one. Yep. Um, you know where you want it to be in the water column. What you're actually attaching to the dam hook you know is probably should actually probably be first and foremost you know how much how much stuff are you gonna gonna put on there is the hook gonna you know ride the right, right way or make the fly move the right way that you want it to when you've got all the stuff on the on the hook um 
I think, you know, for, for me, my biggest consideration is always get the hook in the fish's mouth first and then, you know, then worry about it. Obviously, you know, there's, there's scenarios where, you know, uh, the hook will dictate, you know, what fly you pick out of the box, you know, like in a situation like what Brooks got up there, you know, I probably would never fish something like an SS15 or an SC15 or, you know, a, a really light gauge hook because you're probably going to, you know, bend it straight out. Okay, it might work great for the fly that you're chucking in there, but, you know, realistically not going to get a fish back out of there. Um, so, you know, that's that's going to be some consideration. But I think for me the big one is, you know, what I want the fly to do in the water um, mm -hmm. is is why I would choose the hook rather than, you know, any consideration in, in respect to setting it. I think you just sort of got to back yourself and trust that you can get it in. You know, we, we down here, you know, going back to that fishing for what's accessible and, and whatever else, you know, um, sometimes we get a bit bored and go and chase a crazy little fish down in the harbour, you know, all those little, little things that swim around the rock walls. You know, we use tiny little hooks at times, you know, size 10, 12, 14, you know, in the salt water, just having fun on those little guys. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, coming down to hook set, all that sort of stuff, just try and make it work, you know, what, what, whatever you can do to, to make it work is, is the go. But um, back, back to Brim specifically, you know, I think um, hook consideration is, is more to do with fly design than anything. Mm. I, I wonder, like, I mean, in, in regards to, like, probably all, all fish, you know, in that respect, um, uh, hook <laughs> penetration is, is also a big part of it in, in relation to the size leader as well, you know. It's always, it, it is, I mean, again, there's been plenty of times I've seen examples of, of your hook selection working, Jimmy, you know, but, like, sometimes it looks like, you know, I must admit, like, and I, I'm, I don't know if I've ever spoken to you about it, but... Um, you know, like it was like, wow, that 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 looks like that gauge would take a lot of pressure to come into it. But you know, like a lot of a lot of fly design is a little bit of a trade off. Anyway, you know, I know that um, you know, with some crab flies, you know, like having a massive gape is is kind of ideal for some species. But you know, you you offer that cantilever from that point of equilibrium to to have that that hook roll over because it's heavier to to sink bend first with that bigger gape, things like that. You know, like there's a lot of a lot of compromise. I know that's not relative to what you're saying, but it's just another example of um, that that trait. No, in something, I, I you know? think it, I think it's relative because, like, for a while there, one of my favourite hooks to use in that that scenario we were discussing earlier. You know, actively, you know, fishing to fishing shallow water and getting them chasing a fly. I was fishing an area where there was quite a lot of current over flats. I was using the owner fly liner hooks. You, you know, you're familiar with those. Like, they're, they're, mm -hmm. a, they're a beast of a hook, man. Like, you know, you, you'll never, ever bend them out. Like, a trigger fish wouldn't bend them out, you know? No, I used to use them on tuna. Like, for some yeah. tiny little tuna flies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, fishing a size 8 fly liner, I mean, you, you're never going to bend that out. But, you know, it just worked best for, for what I was chucking at the time. And, you know, still fishing those long, light leaders, but, you know, just use a bit of thought process when you go to set the hook, I guess. Brooke, do you um do you crimp the barb on your flies? Uh, I majority I do. So all the shrimp flies I do. Um, I didn't on the 
little finger mullet just because um, the placement of the hook is um, up a lot further if you've got like it's the hook points a lot closer to its head. So um, I was finding that I wasn't – sometimes they weren't – if they didn't sort of really attack it, I wasn't pinning them. So I left the barb on them, but I I usually take them off my own flies anyway. I um, crimp them down on all the shrimp flies because just the – where the hook's placed is back right near the tail or the head, which is be the shrimp, and it's just – you just get good purchase with it. But, yeah, the only one I didn't do was that the, the finger mullet. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Jimmy? Do you crimp barbs? It depends on the hook. Completely yeah. de- completely dependent on the hook. Um, and dependent also if my son's fly fishing with me because, man, <laughs> when he's casting, you want a barbless hook. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets pretty wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, look, uh, I would say, you know, 80% of the time, no, I don't debarb them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there'd be there'd be times where m- maybe I would. But again, probably, you know, the barb being there or not is far down the list on my consideration, you know, when it comes time to pick a fly out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself with some other species, like, you know, we've got Saratoga up here, very hard mouth fish. Um, yeah. You know, I find myself looking for the finest gauge I can possibly get without bending that hook, and then I'll still crimp the barb, you know, just to um, not not for the fish's sake, you know, which I, I deeply respect them for sure. But um, of course, of course, um, yeah. But uh, but more so for for my sake, you know, for for making that hook sit in, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I find that hooks hooks are only going to bend if they're not they don't penetrate very well so i mean in addition to having a fine gauge to be able to find its way through that um maze of bones in those things mouths um i i need it to sit to the bend you know what I mean? i've never i've never caught a toga is there is there a soft spot in there at all or it's just oh bone? yeah there's plenty of soft spots but uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but i mean i mean as obvious as this sounds we we you know we don't have the ability to um to to put the hook where we want inside the mouth we can just try and there's plenty of hard bits in its mouth um that 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 it's not so much bone it's like like just a really hard armored like gristle type yeah. thing that um yeah that you know anything that's anything that's like of a normal saltwater gauge is just gonna have a real hard time penetrating and i think that people say that toga are renowned for throwing hooks you know they jump they carry on um you know i i can't think of the last time i caught a toga with a barb hook you know to be honest with you um and it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense, you know. Like a- anything that you can possibly do to sway it in your favour, yeah, you know, yeah. Take the barb off. It's if it helps, it helps. Yeah, I mean, you, you occasionally get togas still throw hooks and stuff like that. But I mean, my way of thinking is it's not like they 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 can't throw a, um, a hook that's all the way to the bend. You know, people probably might be listening going, "Ah, oh, that's bullshit." Um, but, you know, people. I've heard people say, "Well, then how come?" How come with like you know a tre- like a hard body when it's got two sets of trebles hanging off it um, that it can still throw that? Well, I just think that's 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 um that's six hook points that have got to be had the pressure of penetrating through those hard mouths. I don't think any of them are penetrated, you know. No, and I think they can work against each other too. You know, when you've got multiple hooks in there, like yeah, I could yep. be wrong, but you know, like you know, you, you think about leverage and things like that. You know that. <laughs> 
there's a good chance that they could work against one another to to, to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the trebles are a bit like knots, you know. If you don't know knots, tie lots. I think that's what trebles are. They just they don't they don't per, they don't <laughs> purchase a lot. Too. They yeah. don't purchase deep, but they get them in lots of spots. So you you think you've got more of a chance, but uh, yeah, that's I'm not I've a trebles treble fan. I've never heard that saying before. If you don't know not don't know knots, tie lots. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's. Yeah, I have been that person in the past as a kid. That's for sure. <laughs> Got plenty of fish on granny knots. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's. Um, I mean, there's plenty of species that will um will highlight that. I mean, same with barra. Barra will jump and throw and carry on. And um, ah, uh, I fish. I fish barb hooks a fair bit on barra, I suppose. But I've definitely caught a lot on um on without well on debarb hooks as well for that same reason. You know, they might be have might have days where they just they're just nipping it, or they they're probably not fine hook in the first place. But it's that confidence of going, well, I'm just going to take the barb out, so it uh, so that hook point just slips straight in. You know, the barb's just an extra part extra part of diameter, really. At the end of the day, of course. Mm. Yeah, I definitely find a finer gauge hook better. Like the thickest one I've used is the SA uh, 280 on the uh, finger mullet and that. But other than that, I just I use all the finer the NS sort of gear. Yeah. I just find I get a bit bit of a – might be just a personal thing, but, uh, yeah, I just like the finer gauge. Yeah, I, I, tend, I tend to agree, mate. I tend to I tend to agree. The um, – yeah, no, I tend to agree. Without, without sounding like an ARX ad, yeah, those, um, those Nordic salt range hooks are um, – I mean, they're, des- they're designed for trout, so they're really fine. They're a really fine gauge, that's for sure. Perfect for that sort of stuff. I, I love the those NS hooks too. They're you know, for a lot of scenarios, they're a great hook. And they're bloody strong. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're I agree. I, it's um like I the, the hook that I use for the Toga that I was mentioning there, like um, is the PR three thirty. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that model. You may or may not be. They they start off like a pretty big size, like at one oh. Um, but they are such a thin wire. And when I've tied um, my Yeezus leech, for example, for Toga, for customers when I was a commercial fly tire, um, a lot of people have come back to me and said, I, I, I can't get my head around that this will hold these fish, you know. Um, they're just sort of a, what is it, Arab, they're not a stinger, are they? They're just fairly they're Ab- straight. Yeah, Aberdeen type yeah. pattern, like a, like yeah. a J-hook, you know, I guess you could say. I used but to use them. Uh, I used to use the old mustard. What was it mustard something for my brim flies? And they always got great purchase. Just the Araboon. Ab- Aberdeen. Yeah. yeah. It, or is it? Oh, have I been saying Ab- it wrong the whole time? Aberdeen. Aberdeen? I don't know. Ar- I could have said it wrong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I think um, I used the old to Aberdeen, the old mustard Aberdeen. That was yeah. the one that Bushy was really pushing for. You know, that, that's that was one of my favourites for a long while. It's just a, it's a pretty basic but very fine wire hook. Mm. Yeah, it was a ripper. Anyway, sorry. Go on. I don't. No, guess. no. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear. You know, that's for sure. Because uh, oh, that's what I was just saying. That people people would spin out that that um, you know that that it won't it won't hold the fish. Same with um, same with Barrett, like the, the PR three twenty. Like uh, um, I remember having a I had um John Everett on the podcast for the fly tying podcast aspect of it. We spoke about it on there as well. Like he was tying, um, he was tying hooks on on these on these um, well the BMC hooks are massive. And so I introduced him to the ARX hooks, and he's like, oh, I don't know, Chris, they look like too fine a gauge. I don't think my customers are going to like it. Um, but he came to me telling me that the problem was that he kept dropping fish or they were bending hooks. Um, 
and and you'll hear John on that podcast talk about how he's a full con- convert to not so much Arex brand, you know, we, but but it was through Arex that introduced him a more finer gauge hook um, through conversation, and you know he stopped dropping fish. The point, uh, sorry, opening up hooks, and the point was that these these TM, uh, VMC hooks were huge gauge, you know, like they were like GT type hooks, you know, but because the cod is so strong, um, these guys wanted a big hook to be able to tie their, you know, 50 pound leaders to and stuff, but the hooks weren't penetrating and they were resting on the point and just opening up like the, the, it's amazing how weak a hook is, you know, when you put the pressure on the, on the hook point, you know, if you were to put it on like a, a table or over something hard and, and, and pull on it from the leader, you know, like you'll open most hooks up in a heartbeat you know but um you'll you'll break the leader if it's uh hooked if it's bent if it's sunk all the way through the bend of the hook if you know what i'm saying it's doing what it was designed to do yeah 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 well some hooks don't get to that's what i'm saying like if it's it's easy to go too heavy um you know they don't they just don't have they don't don't happen they don't they don't do what they're designed to do like you just said yeah yeah very interesting what other stuff do you guys chase in the estuaries well let's let's start with you brooke do you chase other stuff no, I was just thinking that you went through all that stuff about mouths and hooks and dentition wasn't brought up once. Oh, God damn it. I totally fucking missed that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's Very... talk about the dentition of the other species that you might be other chasing species... in, in certain benthic strata scenarios. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I love me bass, of course. Yep. Uh, I have still haven't put enough time into jacks yet. I want to... I wanted to um, stray away from the brim for a while and try and hook some of these Gold Coast jacks, which have eluded me thus far. That but, video um, you put up the other day of like uh, the bank that you just described yeah. earlier in this show, I, I, I looked at that video, I'm thinking any second now, he's just going to get dusted. I know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a bring magnet. Uh, there was a uh, bust up the other week of Trevally, so I chucked the fly in there and I got a brim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've sort of focused mainly on the brim and bass, just to sort of uh, try and knuckle them out. But uh, yeah, I want to want to start trying branch out a bit more with some jacks and stuff like that. Flatties are fun, but they destroy my flies too much. Yeah, good so, time of year. Good time of year for flatties, that's for sure. Right now. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and you got flat. You got a pretty good population of flatties down there too, Jimmy, don't you? Yeah, it's um, they're a bit of a you know flat staple, I guess, through spring and summer. Um, as soon as the water starts to warm up a little bit, like and and it's funny this year, like I mean, I I can't remember if I sent you the picture, Chris, but I sent it to Volti. Like we had um, we had snow on the hills here. You know, we could see it from I could see it from my house. My house is you know a hundred meters from the Pacific Ocean as the the crow flies, and I was looking out the window on Saturday morning and there was snow all over the hills out the back. Oh, so the water has not warmed up sufficiently yet. So, oh, um, but Such a cold spring, eh? It really it is. It was bizarre. It was, you know, we're standing on the beach looking up at snow. Um, so, uh, but as soon as the water does start to warm up down here, that, you know, flatties, you know, become that other, you know, flat staple for us. Um, you know, obviously, pretty fortunate. Get a lot of um, a lot of the bread and butter flat species down here. You know, whiting and silver trevally and 
Taylor, all that sort of stuff. You get run of the Aussie sam- salmon come into the estuary, you know, through winter. And then, you know, the brim and estuary perch are the other two ones that I really uh, – bass and estuary perch are the ones that I like to chase a lot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. I, mean, I guess bass would be <clears throat> the the freshwater equivalent of brim, wouldn't it? I guess you could say, like, it's accessible to a lot of people from uh, – I mean, what – Bermagui's, like, pretty close to the Victorian border, right? Yeah, only maybe an hour and a half, two hours to the Vic border. It's got to be pretty close to the natural distribution. I know that they they'll um they stock them in the rivers down in Victoria, um, but yeah, they they do they. I think like the snowy, the snowy rivers sort of like uh, the bottom end of the snowy where it empties out at Marlow. Um, that'd be a good you know, I guess maybe three four hour drive from here. Uh, south, that's that's sort of usually I think the generally considered the the southern you know natural range of, of bass. Mm-hmm. Like you say, they stock them plenty of places down there, but I think the snowy is is sort of it. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. The, the um, like the the sort of only place that they can get to the well. I mean, there's plenty of estuaries in the VK where they can they could probably go from fresh to estuary uh, to. Sorry, uh, brackish to breed, I guess you could say, but it's just, I guess it's just the temperature maybe. But yeah, I guess, it, you know, like uh, at least on the East Coast, brims, brims all the way around Australia, I guess it's probably not a fair comparison. Just seems like it when you live where bass are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, similar, similar traits, you know, in some respects, but I don't know that there's anything else that really, you know, compares as a, you know, national, you know, nationally targetable species, like, mm. I don't know, mullet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. How, how cool would it be if someone could, if, if there's people started Work to break the coat on mullet? Yeah. How, yeah. They are fun. I've, I've uh, accidentally caught a couple, but uh, yeah, they're That's like right. torpedoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah the they... old, uh, on the, the shrimp, the beast shrimp or shrimp beast. Yeah. That's an old one. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing, eh? It's a, uh, I guess they go so hard. It's um, it's a crazy hard mullet go. It's uh, it's amazing. The, the little sand mullet, the, like you know, just a little good old little sand mullet or yellow eye mullet. That was, that was my first fish on fly. You know, like I think they're the, a really good training wheels fish. You know, like you know, go and throw a bread burly out and fish a little white fly in there. Like it, it's it's good fun, but. I think, you know, someone worked out a way to chase those, you know, successfully get those big uh, sea mullet and big flat tail mullet. If we could get a way to, you know, find something that they'd eat regularly, mm. I don't know if you'd fish for anything else. Yeah, it'd be super cool, eh? That's for sure. They What's, get big. Uh, sorry? They get big, real big. Yeah, yeah. especially when they, yeah, well, yeah, the, 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 are they the same thing as what we would call, I mean, unless it's different, the bully mullet, bull mullet? Bully mullet? Yeah, I think it, so. We, we, the guys down here call them that too. I think they're, they're the big sea mullet. Yeah, the yeah. big ones that come in. Um, yeah. Maybe we had someone on the podcast, I can't remember who it was, was telling us in Sydney Harbour that they were catching yeah, on fly. Yeah, on, on purpose. But uh, I've seen a couple of articles in magazines where people were, you know, drifting tiny little, you know, crazy Charlies down the schools, just letting them drift and they'd just pick up a, a static fly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think that. I mean, if there was any consistency to it, everyone would be doing it. I mean, of course. Yeah, those those schools of bully mart when they come in, the big sea mart and stuff like they're not they're not hard to miss. 
That's for sure. They they stake it, stay in the one place. They don't move very far. They just hang in a ball. Be easy to target in that circumstance if it worked the whole time. Would it be nice? Right. It'd be nice if someone cracked that nut. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of homework for you, Jimmy. <laughs> Tricky one, that one, I think. <laughs> Jimmy's mullet babies. <laughs> <laughs> you get the haircut and everything going. We need the um, <laughs> we need A-Rex to do a SA two eighty in about a size sixteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Getting them to act on something like that, they're, they're, they move at a glacial pace for new stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, what um, what do you think? So, uh, I was going to say, what do you, what do you guys think is missing? For, for motivating people to get out into estuaries, I guess, this day and age, I suppose. It's a bit of a squirrely question, I guess, but um, maybe uh, maybe there's a better way to look at that question, I suppose. And, um, um, you know, what, what do you guys think the appeal, I guess you could say, to uh, to, to uh, honing your skills in the estuary is? Let, let's, let's start, let's stay on you, Jimmy, for a sec with that one. What do you reckon, mate? Uh, what's not to love about it, you know? Like, I, I think um, the fact that, you know, 80% of the Aussie population lives by the coast. You know, there's probably some sort of fishable waterway, you know, within a reasonable, you know, distance from, from the majority of the population. It's it's there, it's accessible, it's available, um, and there's so much variety. Generally, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's an urban environment or a really natural one. Um, I just think the... You know the aspect of just being there and doing it. Um, surely that's got to be appealing. You know, like, and the fact that it's you know it's you it's yours. You know, it's your local. It's it's yours your spot. You can make it your own. You know, like maybe you're not going to be a you know a permit whiz or a you know or, or or a barra guru or something. You know, but you know how cool would it be if you know that little lake of yours around the corner. You know, you work out how to catch fish in there 12 months of the year and that's there for the taking for, for so many of us, you know. I think yeah. that's that's the appealing part, you know. And you can do it simply, you know. You could have a, a box with half a dozen flies and a spool of tippet in your top pocket and you wouldn't need anything more than that. So to summarise what you're saying, you're saying make make that lake around your from around the corner from your place your bitch. Make that lake, lake your bitch, <laughs> is what you're saying? Yeah. Own it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, and I think, yeah, like going maybe a little bit deeper from that, you know, once once people, you know, are in that mindset, and you know, they take that ownership and and that respect, and then there's almost a bit of stewardship or something as well. You know, the more people that can get involved in it, the more people there are to love it, and then look after it, care for it, you know, and maybe that gets back to that bit of you know what we what we sort of let out with, but. Um, that can only be a good thing, you know, the, the increased participation, it's it's there and it's easy, you know, for, for everyone. It can only lead to good things because the more people that love it, you know, the more people there are to look after it. I'm guessing you guys probably get pretty hammered about, you know, your field of expertise and your fishing uh, from questions from social media. Brooke, do you, what, what's a common question that, you know, like um, that you, you would get PM'd about, um for what for what you do that you might be able to share with people that probably haven't asked you that question yet. Well, other than where did you catch that? Do you get that a lot, do you? Oh, you get that a few times. Most 20, of them. 27 times a week. 
Yeah. All right, well, let's just blanketly yeah. just say stop Stop asking those yeah. questions. <laughs> no, the majority of people are pretty good. You know, they, they just ask your general questions before they sort of work their way in, which is, <laughs> you know, Where did you catch it? which is a good approach, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, what sort of flies are you using colour? and stuff like that. Yeah, what's your favourite colour? Do you like, you know, yeah. sunset walks? But, um, <laughs> did yeah, you watch Seinfeld? Yeah, <laughs> just general questions usually just, you know, about um, rods and leaders and lines and stuff like that. But, um, and then you Line, sort of, Lines is the big one, I guess. Yeah, lines like, is a big non-stop. one. Non-stop. It's, it's always about lines. Yeah. Okay. My, an- my answers are pretty simple, though, because I just use one line, so they, they only get a one-line answer. They don't tend to ask me too many questions. You think – uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's that's the main part. Probably just the gear setup that and someone might need because it it is daunting. Yeah, um, if you haven't sort of dabbled in it before, it can be um, extremely daunting, especially when a lot of it is focused on trips away. Like uh, you know, yeah. people you see on Instagram. At least now you see a lot more of bread and butter fishing, but before all you'd see is. Um, you know, permit or GTs or stuff like that. It's like that's not the gear that you need. You know, you just need a, you know, a trout setup will will get you going fine. Yeah. Do you think people are sometimes taken back um, at the uh, the honesty of the of how simple it needs to be? Yeah, they're expecting a uh, complex answer. But it's, yeah. It doesn't as Jimmy said, doesn't ha- it can be? Depends how far you want to take it. But just to start off, just, you know, if you've got know someone who's got a little bit of trout gear that they're not using, that'll start you for many years. You know, it won't just start you off. You could just keep that and just stick with it. You nailed so, it, Brooke. You nailed it. That's that's in, in that's exactly how I would have, you know, answered that exact same question. So, uh, so well, in, for both of you, is it like um, is it more beginners, like if people who are just starting out as opposed to people who are looking at changing – a direction they've maintained for years, like that are co- that are asking you questions. Um, bit of both, mainly beginners with the mm. um the rod selection sort of thing. But line selection, you get um most people ask that whether they've been fishing for ten minutes or ten years. You know, just um especially if it's about a fly or something like that. You know, they'll. They'll ask, oh, is it best on a, you know, what do you, what line do you use on it? And, uh, yeah, you, it's, it's hard to narrow down just to sort of one question because you get bombarded with quite a few, but. Uh, no, I understand. It's more, more of a, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is to ask you these questions is so it can um, offer a blanket, you know, maybe free up your DMs a bit, yours and Jimmy's, you know. And, um, oh, I'm and happy I, to I, answer any questions. Oh, I've no, I've except, no for, except for that one where where'd you get that one? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, I mean, the point is, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you a scenario. Like, I, I met I met this dude who um, who did a uh, a Jufi special um, back when. Oh, Jimmy, you probably don't know who this is, but I reckon you'd know Brooke. Remember Ken Brown's Coast Watch? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So he did a um, he invited the film crew to show to show him um, you know, catching hard like Jewfish on hard bodies and um. And he made it a very point, a clear point to to the to the production crew there, um, you know, to to not give away the spot 
but to explain that this could be any estuary in um in southeast Queensland or northern New South Wales, you know. But you know, as, as television, I guess television, the the they did the executives thought it was much smarter just to get, tell exactly the GPS marks of where that, that dude was standing, and the dude was kind of livid in regards to that because you know he never had that spot to himself again after that. But the point is, nothing's learnt, you know, by yeah. by um by asking, you know, where you caught that. You know, the 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 more important questions are, you know, things like. You know what made you decide to to go fishing that day, or like uh, why did you pick? Why do you why do you where? How do you pick a spot? You know things like that. You know like some something that can enable you, enable you to um, hunt in your local area, or maybe even take a, a different perspective of, of something that's been staring you in the face the whole time. Because that's generally all it really is. And 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 I think that um, a big part of that can be simplifying something that might seem incredibly complicated when it doesn't need to be either. Even just demystifying the illusion of it, you know, maybe sometimes it's made out to be more than it is. Mm, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I think just, you know, really stripping it back and going, you know, you know, a 14-foot leader works great doing this, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, to start off with, don't do that. You know, just mm. just buy one from the shop that's, you know, pre-rolled out and, you know, it's, it's more about getting getting a fly in the water to start off with and, you know, don't make things harder on yourself than it needs to be. Not not to start with, anyway. Yeah. No, I, to I totally agree. You know, I just want to point out there's been plenty of opportunities I could have started plugging stuff that I sell in the shop right now, but I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'm here. No, but. there's no, no there's no but. I just want to point out that um, you know, this is the you know the podcast isn't about that. But um, but the point is that um. Are you just behaving yourself because Volty's not here to roll you up, or uh, no? Normally, yeah. Normally, normally, I uh, I just I slip Volty some coin. He says it for me. But... <laughs> he says beast bashes for you. Is it beast bashes? <laughs> what what's that? Sorry, Be beast bashes, isn't it? Oh, it's, um, uh, something wrong with this line. Maybe you could just say it one more time and the checks in the yeah. mail, Brooke. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Um, no, but I mean, like, the, 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 I guess the thing is with, with all that sort of stuff, we, as we mentioned right from the beginning of the show, um, you know, the intention of this show was to get is to get people motivated into fishing their own area, to see the value in fishing their own area, whether it's, it's, it's um, I think it's unfair to call it training wheels for, for destination fishing because, Jesus, man, like, you can get schooled from brim any, any day of the week. Oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there because when we were talking about fancy fish before, I, I, you know, I could make myself very unpopular and say that bonefish are a great training wheels fish for flats brim, but, you know, people I think, probably wouldn't, no, people I think probably that's wouldn't fair. like that. No, I think that's <laughs> fair. I, 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 would, I would go as far as saying that, that I think that um, brim are harder than bonefish by a mile, by a es hell of a mile. Especially yeah. the little CXI ones, you know, like, you know, they can be – very easy you know especially compared to a kgl brim you know mm. it's you know might be a bit tongue-in-cheek to to say that but you know you're right could people play it back the other way saying that the bread and butter fish are the training wells fish it's not always yeah. the way yeah exactly just um give me one second guys just talk amongst yourselves for a moment sorry two sex <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to um I'd love to see some of these gurus come and um, school everyone on whiting on fly because they're just the hardest. Yeah, I've had trouble with them. I've caught a few, but uh, they are tricky. Even right. on, uh, on lures, they're, they're tricky enough, let alone fly. I avoid them. <laughs> just, 
I it's avoid. Sorry, I, I, I really do. There's just too many wasted hours. Sorry, gents. I uh, my my family stepped out about an hour ago. I didn't hear him come home. I thought I had uh, someone in the house that was looking for all my beast brushes. Did I say beast brushes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all good. I live in an area that that's completely possible. <laughs> Big yeah. chance. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a chance for sure. What were you guys <laughs> talking about? Um, beast brushes. Oh no, white beast brushes. Yeah, whiting, eh? So yeah, that that's 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 something that um I haven't spent hardly any time with, eh? You guys done a bit of it? I, Not I much. don't I don't recommend spending any time with it because it just leads to frustration. <laughs> They're best avoided. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a lifetime on brim. Why why create two lifetimes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why confuse us? I got <laughs> enough grey hairs already. The, the, the guys the guys that do it and do it really well, you know. I I think. Off the top of my head, guys like Shan Kitchener and and Dave Longen and those guys that are catching them, you know, with consistency, mm. man, they're, they're they're I'd love to know their secret because, God, those are tricky tricky fish. One thing I've noticed, though, from from you know, like uh, doing a little bit of traveling and fishing estuaries down the east coast, is that, you know, obviously estuaries vary quite a bit, but brim seem to be the one consistent through all of the estuaries like they're all they're there they're always there and they're always in a similar scenario but some estuaries i i want to name the place i don't want to blow it up but um i went to one estuary in um northern new south wales a couple of years ago that had um you know i couldn't believe the amount of ludrick that were, were swimming on the flats like just in shallow water just cruising around around the rock walls and stuff and the dude i was fishing with i'm like i'm like holy shit man look at all these ludrick is this normal you yeah, see this all the time I could not, couldn't believe what I'm saying. Like, I mean, where I live on the Sunshine Coast, you would, you would just never see that. But the yeah, brim in that estuary, yeah. sorry, what's that, man? Never see that here. Nah, and um, and um, so the the um, the brim were doing the same thing in that estuary as they were where I live. But uh, one day I just went for, a, I left the rod in the car and I just went for a big long wade in this, uh, this flat, and I and the and the whiting that were there. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I, we get whiting where I live too, but. Was they were behaving in a different way to what we, we see there. My point is that um, I'm sure that you know, like you and I live closer than than I do to Jimmy Brook. Um, that the that the other fish, other species, like the jacks, for example, where you are, are very different to where I am. You're further south than I am. I mean, you know, jacks are renowned for getting more active the more more north you go. You would think they'd be more active where we are, but the point is that each 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 estuary requires its own individual approach uh and patience from like if you're learning it in that it you know it it seems to be the one sort of fishing scenario in estuaries that people give it a crack and and, and give up you know revert back to trout fishing or, or or bass or go blue water or something like that it's just a, a an easy thing to sort of um it, it it's hard you know i guess you could say an easy thing to give up because it's hard put it that way yeah, it takes time to figure a spot out like um yeah you just can't even with the like the canals around here, like one canal, fish are going to act different in each scenario. Like depending on tide, depending on uh, sun direction, your shadows, the shadows they're hiding in, like and all that just takes time. It doesn't matter what you're using to catch them. If you're using bait, lures, or fly, you still got to learn those basics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I think you know, like what we said too, you know, like. 
it's it's all but you know th- those systems are always going to be there they're always there they're always just around the corner they're not a you know a plane right away or a you know saving for a year to go there you know they're always there so okay it could be frustrating this trip but you know you might really crack it the next trip so hmm. i think you know just encouraging people to you know to participate to get amongst it and to to keep at it um because you know it's not difficult they're, they're not you know they're not hard to reach they're not you know it's yes okay the fishing can be difficult at times but the places themselves they're very accessible mm. yeah yeah exactly and i think um between you two guys the range of flies that you guys are using because I, I, i'm imagining some of those questions are that you guys get <laughs> is uh what fly are you using um Look at the diversity between the two of you guys. I mean, two different species, black brim versus yellowfin brim. Um, but still, you only have to look at conventional gear to see that a lot of a lot of the uh, lures crossover between the two species. But um, you, know, you guys have got a very different approach to to, um, to fly design. I mean, I mean, Brooke, that, you've that, been, yeah. that said, I mean, Brooke, Brooke could easily bring his flies down here and, and catch, you know, black brim. I, I think they would cross over really well, you know, and and. You know, I'm, I'm we're we're lucky here because we've got both. You know, like we're we're in a bit of a, a crossover area where we do get yellowfin and and blacks. You know, predominantly it is more black brim, but um, I think you know there there is differences, but you know, make them work. But it it probably comes back to that more situational difference or you know scenarios that are requiring a particular fly. Mm. Probably you know is, is the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, like, Jimmy, you seem to be pretty, I wouldn't say, I mean, I've seen you tie a lot of variety in flies, but, I mean, you, you seem to know what works, mate, and, like, it's, um, you know, you'll stick to, um, I'm making huge assumptions here, but most <laughs> most of the times I see you fish recently, you know, you're fishing your fur babies because, you know, they work, they're a confidence thing. I, I fish them too. They're, they're quite good, you know. I've got some of Brooks flies as well. I haven't, I haven't used them yet, you know, but um, because uh, – I've only been out for, I haven't fished for, oh, well, I haven't fished for brim very much this year at all, really, at the end of the day. The floods have really ruined everything for me. So my my intentions to be a bit more of a brim lord have kind of gone a bit astray. Um, <laughs> you're probably rolling your eyes with that, Brooke, because we don't live that far apart and you're getting out heaps and, and I'm not. <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, but Brooke, your, your fly, fly approach Mate, you're you're you're, char- you're catching them on a big variety of flies, man. This this stuff you're catching these uh, the deer hair flies lately is a bit of a spin out, eh? Yeah, I, I get bored pretty easy, so uh, I like to yeah I go sort of go through phases. But yeah, the deer hair, um, yeah, surprising what they they're gonna eat during summer. Like I'm just gonna chuck whatever I can at them, whatever I can make, I'll chuck at them and see which is the most successful. But um, I always knew that cicada was going to work. Yeah. Like, that's just – that was a gimme. But, um, yeah, I I mix it up. Like, as I said, I used the finger mullets for quite some time and had a heap of success with them. And then um, that um, – did you get those – I sent up a couple of those flat wing little shrimp. Oh, in the last lot for the co-op? Yeah. Uh, mate, I, I, I haven't, um, I haven't had a chance to load them up yet. I apologise, but um, no, no, I just sent them up for you to have a look at them. Oh right, no, well, I, I have a little shrimp, but yeah, they've they've been good, and they're a different different sort of fly again. But uh, I like to look at those, Brooke. I've I've 
been paying attention to those online. That those things yeah, are they're, great. They're good. They're good. The only thing is that they're hook point down, so you do get a snag every now and again. But um, yeah, I just uh, I get bored using the same fly, so that's why I sort of mix it up. And I just like to see sort of how many flies they will eat. How long will you give a, a new fly a go, a new idea a go? Like, I mean, like uh, your time, Brandon Bales, um, di- like dragonflies at the moment. They look pretty cool, but, you know, uh, have you caught a brim on them yet? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and what's the rea- what's once. what? Sorry, I'm sorry, mate. Say that again. I took, I've taken it out once and got a brim on it. Usually if I don't get one in two trips, it doesn't get used again. Uh, hey, can, hey, can I just <laughs> can I just jump in there? That yeah. that Brandon Bales, he, he is an absolute inspiration. How cool are that guy's flies? Oh, they're magic. Yeah, no. Oh he's... man, that well, guy. If if I could tie half as good as that guy one day, I would be stoked. He, his flies just are amazing. Brandon's a, a like you know not that far removed from you two. You know, in that respect, like Brandon ties flies for uh, his local waters only. You know, like he's fishing. Uh, Panther Branch, which is the creek system, spring-fed creek system, full of, you know, all sorts of ooglies in the United States. But, you know, he's not tying pike or muskie flies or, you know, yeah. or, or lake bass flies and stuff like that. He'll tie, he'll tie some saltwater flies for the redfish when he heads down to the, the coast in Alabama. But that's it. He's, he stays in his lane. And, um, and, and staying in your lane is such a big part that I think people should direct their attention to as far as inspiration is concerned. And that's, I'm a, I'm a, I, I've, I was in the middle of saying this right from the beginning when I was saying I was going to piss in two pockets right here, but you guys are both a massive inspiration to me the same way you just mentioned Brandon there, like Jimmy, you know, like it's just, you know, like anyone, it doesn't matter who they are, or where they are, like um, anyone who specializes in their local waters is is right up there for me personally as um, as a massive and huge inspiration, you know, I don't, I don't care how experienced they are, how long I've been doing it for, if they're having some sort of success in their local water, that's... That is the top of the tree for me, you know. I don't. I, I can. I can see the value, and I'll also travel to go go fishing somewhere. But I can't seem to. I just seem to can't. I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but I just can't seem to res- respect as a fisherman someone who lives in a certain place and doesn't fish where they live, you know. Or, you know, I mean, yeah. It's it's, it's the whole. Why wouldn't you? It's there. That's I what don't you got. Get, you, know, can't, like you can't love fishing. How could how could yeah. anyone love fishing and 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 um and not and, yeah ignore, ignore. What's, what's in front of them? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, like it's um you see people that are uh, I mean as a, as a grommy, you know, you're you're looking for any little puddle that's got fish in it for yabbies or even guppies and so like that and that just stuff continues as you're going on adult and obviously you're mature in your fishing approach and you become a wine drinking fly fisherman, but um. <laughs> But I mean the same the same um, anticipation exists and like like you know you might be walking down the shops with your miso and then you'll see a, like she'll be yapping on about something you'll be looking at a body of water wondering what's in there to catch, you know. But if you don't have that inspiration, like you're obviously looking at magazines and what's that body of water got to catch? It's just I, I just think that more people have got access to the, to the local water. Uh, you know, I've said it said it on this I've said it on this show I've said it on the podcast many times. It's guys like yourselves that people should be looking towards to uh, to model their, their their fishing off, not necessarily to catch the same species of fish, but the same way you you know you mentioned with Brandon. Brandon's another one like that. People like Brandon are people that uh, are the are the people that are you know 
essentially holding holding the the fly fishing inspiration scene together in my opinion i like that term local water i like that yeah it doesn't matter where you are in the world you know no that's right it's it's your local water working it out and like finding what like i would never thought of using um you know a dragonfly to catch brim but i've seen them there i saw them there last year flying around like something's got to eat them and whether it's just the shape or whatever it's something hitting the top of the water but yeah they seem to eat them yeah i think i think brim is smart enough to have um to remember have seen something like that at least once before you know what i mean I think yeah. they're, they're just a, they're just a smart fish man i'm sure you guys have seen brim do amazing things i i can remember once i went to that that same landlocked lake i was talking about earlier and i was walking around the edges there and i was actually hiding around the the um i've, I've hidden around trees for brim many times you know, embarrassingly enough um not the sort of thing i tell mates at a barbecue that's for sure <laughs> but uh uh, there was one day I remember the sun was behind, like I was looking into the sun and these fish were coming around this um, revetment wall. Um, uh, just that particular day, there's a lot of fish moving. But I could see this fish in, with, the, with the sun behind in this clear water and it couldn't see me at that moment. And I moved out from behind the tree and I was maybe 30, 40 feet away. Like, and the water isn't completely gin clear. And that fish just stopped still and then just, just sunk to the bottom, just slunk right back around. I didn't have it. I didn't. wasn't even waving a rod around. I could not believe how. And that fish was huge. Like that fish was, you know, a good a kilo, a bit over a kilo looking fish. You know, like a quite a quite a big brim, which would many people would know would be at least a twenty five year old fish. And I think to myself, how many? I think one of you guys said it earlier. How many? How many prawns and sinkers and lures and stuff has that fish seen in that time? They're just smart. They're just they're absolute. They call them rats with fins, which I think is more of a compliment to their survival skills to live in urban build up areas and live for 25 years and get past all that fishing pressure commercial and recreational you know they're just um they're just they're, they're just the ultimate game really at the end of the day could you imagine if they got to a meter like i mean they'd be <laughs> they, they'd be they'd, they'd rival anything as far as skill to catch them and, and their their ability to fight oh man those ones in oman that get to like 60 70 oh, monsters aren't they oh my god yeah they're pretty That's, cool yeah, I can't see myself ever catching one of those, but that would definitely be on my bucket list for, for something I'd like. I'd love to. I can't ever see myself going to Oman. No, it does sound <laughs> a pretty cool place though. When we had um, oh goddamn, I've drawn a blank on his name. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Ah, oh, come with his last name. Brandon King. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah yeah. Um yeah the 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 town of oh the the sorry the country of Oman sounds pretty pretty reasonable place to go to. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I but I can't see myself getting there. No, no, I don't think I'll be going there. No, no. Well, you guys got anything else to add from being uh, estuary uh, Jedi's? Jedi's. No, just for people to get out there and do it. Get off your bum. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I, I, I hope someone listens to this and goes, you know, I wouldn't mind just uh, like even if it's just honing your skills, like just the act of casting, you know, on your, on your water. It's um. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is just is just make that move and, and get out there and do it. Really, I'm, just do it um, once. I'm seeing I'm seeing things a lot a lot different, you know, these days because uh, of fishing with my boy. You know, he's he's only nine, but he's absolutely you know mad for it. So it's like I get to see the whole process, you know, all over again, and you know, showing him the water and and watching how he goes about it now and. 
you know, I think about my old man, you know, him introducing us to the water. And, and he was the one that sort of always said, you know, like, if you can, if you can consistently catch brim on fly, you can catch anything. Like he told me that, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you know, it, it, he, he was all over that. And I think seeing it now from the perspective of, you know, young, younger eyes, okay, the water's not the same as it used to be. There's not as many fish as there used to be. Um, but this, you know, they're still there. It's, it's still, the challenge is still there. Um, and, uh, you know, he quite often drags me out, you know, let's, let's go and do it. Let's go and, you know, look at something, you know, there's a certain spot he wants to have a look at or whatever. And, you know, I think that's, that's what we need. We need more people just jumping in and, um, and hitting that local water. Like what you said, Chris, the local water, that's, it doesn't matter what water it is, you know, it's, it's your local water. Go and, yeah. go and get amongst it. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Well, guys, I uh, I think that's a pretty good way to wrap this puppy up. Um, you know, get on your local water, get amongst it. Um, get some you know, sewer tuskies. Get some sewer tuskies, yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't take for granted what you've got just around the corner. I know a lot of people don't. It's probably a lot of people that are going to listen to this and, and go, well, that's what I already do, but... I'd like to think that there's some there's some people that are going well. Maybe I do, you know, probably put a lot of focus on destination fly fishing. Um, yeah, and maybe dragging some new ones in. You know, that that's that's you know probably more the angle that I'm you know looking at it in. You know, like put down the spin rod and pick up a fly rod and you know ask some questions. You know, get yourself involved in the mix. People are only too happy to help. You know, reach out. Mm um and it's it's there for the taking it's there for everyone everyone's got a spot close by um make you know make it happen yeah i totally agree well you know in, in addition to all that i mean like even if you were um you know focused on going away i mean the skills if you could just keep your your skills on the on the burner even you know um i couldn't think of anything worse than than, than fishing once a year like and imagine what my casting would be like when it came around to that that once a year opportunity you know, the, um, even, you know, like you said earlier, Brooke, like sometimes the satisfaction of just putting your fly where you want it to be, you know, is, is, is um, is a good part of fishing, you know? Yeah. That's a challenge in itself, especially when you're starting out. Oh, I, I get it now. I, yeah, I still get it. I think it's great to be, able, it's, it's quite rewarding to, you know, put your, put your fly on a dinner plate whenever you want to, you know, I reckon sometimes it's, um, I mean, it's better, it's better to go casting on the water than in the park. Casting in the park bores the shit out of me. I only do it for five minutes. It's um, you know. Yeah. It, by the time you drive to the park, you could drive to, you know, a little body of water somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree. I don't want to take anything away from casting the park. If you, you know, if you've got lessons or someone they're giving you drills, you should definitely go do that in the park. But you know, once you got that stuff dialed, you know, or um, or close to getting a dog, go and go and um, take it to the water. Easy peasy. <clears throat> so nothing else to add guys you're basically saying that tenkara is you know the the ultimate of terrible things to happen to this world and um <laughs> i heard beast brushes was releasing a tenkara line <laughs> is that true actually we're <laughs> losing you jimmy and uh <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I heard that jimmy Cage was doing a giveaway with a thousand fur babies <laughs> in two days <laughs> I'm um I'm too much of a fly reel tragic to be a tenkara person. I I just I love fly reels too much to um to not use one. 
Yeah. I'm a bit of a bit of a nuffer for, for real. So yeah, the thought of um fishing with a rod that doesn't have one on it doesn't thrill me. I see that as excuse number one thousand not to fish Tenkara. You know, it's just <laughs> one of thousands. <laughs> yeah. Well look, I think if you fish Tenkara, you should go to bed with a mirror and wake up to yourself. <laughs> that was revolting. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> well look, gents. What do you say we wrap this up? And yeah, uh, look, I, I want to say thanks for making the time, guys. Um, you know, we, we took off from uncharted territory right from the start. I think we've pulled it off. And look, I hope you, the listener, have got so- got something out of it. Um, and if you haven't and you need one of these two to, to, ex- to expand on it, don't ask them where they caught the fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, yeah. Anyone, hit us up, any questions. Like, uh, always happy, always free to give out information on on anything so uh yeah questions are always welcome yeah like as brooke just said just direct all questions to brooke please <laughs> <laughs> or Volti. a Volti at 2 a.m in the morning is the best, <laughs> best that's time the to best get him. time that's the best time to call Volti. absolutely uh, you know t- 2 a.m is when he's got the most free time uh and if you don't get hold of him just keep trying and you know what if sometimes he might have his alarm on on uh, silent or something like that just just you just ring him just facetime him Loves it. If you tell him it's about Bream, he'll pick up straight away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah, this whole show was targeted at Volti's attitude towards Bream. <laughs> well, if he didn't want us to talk about him, then he should have been here. That's right. Well, simple solution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, pointing at the old. This is the, this is the thing about Brim Fisherman, mate. You know, like, the answer is obvious. All right? right. Should have been here, Volts. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. He could have hung shit on us for like two hours, but he wasn't here, so too bad. <laughs> Look, I can tell you right now that um that as much as Volti finds it fun to hang shit on brim fishermen, and as do I, as much as I like to hang shit on trout fishermen, because the thing is, you know, those those both those forms of fishing take a lot of dedication and, and you kind of have to be serious about it to get any sort of success. So they you know, people who people who brim fish and fish for trout bite hard. They're great to tease. So um but I think if you can push can to shove, you'll, I think you'll find that Volts, you can also see the skill involved in catching those little rats with fins, for sure. He's caught more permit than Brim, honey. No. No? No. That's well, what he says. I don't know. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure he's caught two Brim. <laughs> <laughs> two more permits than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I hope you listen, Volts. Probably won't, but uh, is there anything else you want to sledge him about? Because he probably won't listen. No, uh, no, I've got him the VDGC, his yeah. tail. We've oh, eliminated no. that as a successful brim fly, right? The VGDC? Yeah, yeah no, that's where they draw the line. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, well, yeah. These things, you, you gotta, you got you to gotta float it to find out, mate. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Guys, thanks again. Pleasure. Thanks, Bill.
Switch off the fucking mind.